Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. All right, so let's Romans 12, 9 through 21. Okay, a lot to unpack here. Let's jump in. Verse 9. It says, Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Okay, so let love be without hypocrisy. Um, it, this is the same flow of thought that we saw in 1 Corinthians. Maybe our Bible study, our, our sermon series in 1 Corinthians, we saw Paul kind of going through the same kind of flow of thought where he's talking about the body, the gifts of the body, how we are supposed to operate within the church body with our giftings and what they are. And then he takes a whole chapter, the love chapter of, Rome, of Corinthians, where he devotes to love. And so here Paul is saying, okay, we need to be consecrated, consecrate our bodies to God. Do not be conformed by the world, but be renewed by the, uh, by the washing of your mind, cleansing of your mind, renew your mind to things of God. Then it talks about how we have a proper view of self and a proper view of each other, inter- interdependency. And then he talks about the giftings and how that all operates under the umbrella of sacrificing ourselves to God. And then after the giftings, Paul makes it very clear that, look, everything we do operates within love. And Paul says, love without hypocrisy. Some of your translations may say sincerity. In fact, sincerity comes from, it's the Latin form of this Greek word, uh, hypocrisy, uh, hippo or hippio, hippi, something like that. It's where we get the word um, hypocrisy or sincerity. Now, sincerity actually literally means without wax in Latin, um, without wax. And basically what they would do is they would take pottery, and if you ever had pottery and it chipped or it cracked, they would take the wax, color the same color as the pot, and then they would put it in the chip, put it in the crack, and it was, they, they sand it down, they smooth it out, and it's good as new until you put it in the sun, and the sun would reflect on it differently, and you could tell that that was not true. That was not sincere, okay? It had wax in it. It was messed up. It was not spotless. It was not perfect. And Paul says, let your love be sincere. Let your love be without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy is that they used to call an actor. They put a mask on and they'd act out. It was not a derogatory name or title. It was just, you are an actor. Let your love be without acting. Let your love be without wax. Let your love be genuine. Okay, so now here's the question. What is genuine love? Okay, so the word here that Paul is using for love is agape. Okay, agape love. And we all know that's the God love. That's God's love. It's active love. Okay, so what does it mean to have agape towards one another? Now, the first thing we got to understand is that because it is God's love, because it is agape love, that means that it can only be defined by God. It could be only defined by what God says it is. It's not a subjective love. It's not a feely, like, well, I feel like that's the most loving thing I could do. I, th- I feel like this is what love is. No, we can't, we don't define it. It's not subjective. It's not dependent on our view of it. God has defined it because it's his love and he is love. So he gets to define what agape is. And so what we're gonna see here is the next, the rest of this chapter is Paul is going to lay out what it is to have love. He's gonna lay out what it is to have genuine love. Like what is agape love? What is a Christian? If we're supposed to be loved genuinely without hypocrisy, this is what it's gonna look like in our lives. And so we, we, we should expect to see that if this is agape love, that this should be actually um, in sync with the, the ministry of Jesus, the words of Jesus, because if Jesus is the word become flesh, the love become flesh, the agape become flesh, then we should see that what Paul is about to say is, is, is modeled in the life of Jesus, and we're gonna see that it is. But real quick, 
the layout here, okay? Paul is going to first start with the church, okay? As believers, this is what your agape looks like laid out in the church. This is how we live it out. It's active. This is how we live it out. But then as unbelievers, as believers into the unbelieving world, he's going to, at the last, the latter half of this section, he's going to show us how our love, because if our love is of God, then God loved the unbelievers and the believers alike. He so loved the world while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were wicked, he loved us. So if our love is from God, then it has to have a love towards the unbelieving world too. And so Paul's going to break that up and show us that our love is not for just the believers, but it's for the unbelievers alike. And so what is the first thing that Paul says? If you have genuine love, then he says, abhor what is evil or hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Okay, so if we're going to have sincere love, the first thing we must do is hate that which is evil. Okay, hate that which is evil. You see, we have this, and we've talked about this many times before, but we believe that in order for me to love somebody, it means that we cannot have hate. Like hate and love are opposite of each other. That we can't, if, you, if you're going to have genuine love for somebody, that there's no room for hate. But that's not the truth. In fact, I would say that love without hate is not love, it's indifference. Okay? You have to, love and hate go hand in hand. In order for me to love somebody, I've got to hate that which is bad for them, hate that which is harmful for them, or hate that which is interrupting our relationship. See, in order for me to love, like if I go to Savannah and say, hey, babe, I cheated on you. Okay, I cheated on you. And she looks at me and says, you know, babe, I love you. And it's okay. You're fine. You know what? I, you're just a man, okay? You're just a man. I know your desires. And, and so, uh, you know what? You can keep on cheating on me. You know, keep on going. And I, I've got some girlfriends that you might like. And, and here you go. You just keep going. Like, look, that would, that's not love. That would make me mad. I'm like, okay, who are you sleeping with? Okay? Like, who are you cheating on me with? Okay? Like, because if, if she doesn't hate that which divides or hate that which harms or hate that which destroys our relationship, then that is not love. And I, and I would be completely uh, angry if she was indifferent. And so here's the thing. You know, this worldly kind of love says that in order to love, we have to accept. In order to love, we have to have tolerance. In order to love, we have to be uh, appeasing to all people, even if it's harmful towards them. But if we're going to have godly love, godly love lives within the boundaries of truth and discernment. In fact, if we're going to have godly love, then we, if you're going to say God is love, and you say God, that hate is not a part of love, then you are completely contradicting the Bible because the Bible says there, is, there are seven things that God hates. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6 says this, God hates seven things. He hates the proud look, okay? So he hates pride, all right? And in America, we, we, we are, uh, that's all about us, man. We are all about pride, but God says, I hate pride. I hate a lying tongue, okay? Not big lies, not small lies. He, like, he, he hates all lies, he hates the hands that shed innocent blood and murder. He hates a heart that devises wicked plans. He hates the feet that are swift in running evil, or running to evil. He hates false witness who speak lies. And he hates those, the one who sows discord among his brother. Okay? He hates those who sow discord. He doesn't say he hates discord. He says he hates the one who sows discord. Notice that. That's, that's completely contrary to the way we would say this. Well, God hates the lie and loves the sinner. God hates the one who sows discord and or hates the discord and loves the discorder. Well, that's a word, but discorder. It's not what it says. So God hates the, he hates sin. And if you're going to live in it, man, you're falling. You're an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get too much in that. But anyways, what we see here is that in order to have agape love, the first thing we got to understand is that it has to hate. The Bible says that we hate that which goes against God's commands. We hate that which goes against the will of God. So if you love God, you're going to hate evil. Okay, Jesus, we're going to follow after the model of Jesus in Revelation chapter 2. He talked to the Ephesus church. He says, man, I, I commend you to the church. He says, because you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, because I also hate the, 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 their deeds. Now, what are the deeds of Nicolaitans? Nicolaitans was a man by the name of Nicholas in Acts. You'll see him. Basically, the, the, the doctrine is that they said that you could be in the world, do the things of the world, 
live in the world and still be a Christian. He said there's no difference. There's no boundary there. It's just we, we can worship pagan gods and worship Yahweh. We can worship Jesus. We can do the sins of the world and we can still worship Jesus. We could be in the world and still worship Jesus. And Jesus says, I hate not only their doctrine, but I hate their deeds. I hate them. I hate their deeds. And so hatred is, that's the first boundary. In order for to have love, you got to have a boundary of love and discernment. Now, the discernment, where does that come in? Okay, Paul says, cling to what is good. Cling to means in the Greek to bond to what is good. So we hate that which is evil. We hate that which is bad. And we cling to that which is good. First Thessalonians, Paul says, test all things. So test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. Philippians chapter 4 says, finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there is virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So this is where the discernment comes in, okay? This is where agape love, a true love has discernment to find out. You see, when we are living in this world, we discern what is good through the lens of the word of God. Paul already said that, renew your minds. Look, I'm gonna promise you this. If you're walking in this world and your, your minds are, are being transformed by the world and you're meditating on the narrative of the world, if you're only watching just garbage and stuff on TV and that's what you're getting fed, the news and everything, it's all about the world. You're not feeding your minds with the word of God. You will not be able to discern what is good. You won't be. Because Satan, you know, a lot of times we think, we'll know if it's bad. Okay, we will know if it's bad. It's going to be some guy in the corner chewing off the head of a bat. Like, that's a no-no. Like, we, we'll know when things are Satanist, you know, evil. The, no, Satan is good at making things beautiful. Like, he is very good at making things attractive and making things seem like. He takes the word of God and he twists it and manipulates it. You know, the Bible says, do not, do not eat of this fruit. And Satan's like, oh, God said, don't even touch of it, okay? God said, he didn't say, you shouldn't eat of it. You would die, okay? He just says, you know, you'll be like, so he could take the word of God and twist it. He did it with Jesus in the garden or in the desert. And so if we think that we're going to be able to walk through this world without the renewing of the mind, the transformation of the mind of the Word of God and discerning through the Word of God, the lens of the God, we are deceiving ourselves. Because to discern goodness, man, we could walk through this world and say, well, man, if I tell a lie here, it's going to help the masses. People, my wife is going to feel good, better about herself, you know, or my, you know, I'm going to save face. I'm going to make sure, no, if I tell the truth here, people are going to get hurt and it's going to hurt a lot of people and it's going to make everybody uncomfortable. So for me, my discernment of goodness is to lie here and that's the best for everybody. See how that doesn't work? When God says, I hate lying, but my discernment of good outside of the word of God becomes that seems to be the best situation for this moment. Or, you know what? My discernment is good. Because, therefore, I, I see everybody saying this is beautiful. This is good. It ain't hurting nobody. This is true love. You know, they, they could be together if they want to be together. It's true love because it seems to me good. But then you go to the word of God and it's contrary. Or we love each other. We're getting married. I could sleep with her. Because we, we love each other. It's beautiful. God loves love, okay? It's beautiful. Because if we start to discern what is good and what is evil through our own lens, guess what? It's going to be off majorly because our world and Satan are very good at making that which is evil look beautiful. And so our discernment comes from the truth of God. And Paul says, and there's a reason why that right off the bat of love without hypocrisy, Paul goes in later on, he says, when you're persecuted, bless those. Why does he say persecuted? Man, if you're all about love, if your whole goal is love, why are you gonna be persecuted? Like, especially if we're loving the way the world loves. Like, if we're only loving the way the world loves, we're kind of going downstream with the world of the definition of love, what do we have to worry about persecution for? Because love is within the boundaries of truth and love has hatred of that which is evil and this world calls that which is evil good and so we're gonna be persecuted because we love within the boundaries of discernment and truth Paul also goes on he says love is devoted to one another in brotherly love 
gives preference to one another in honor. Now, the word brotherly love is the word phileo in the Greek. It's where we get the word, um, what's brotherly love? It's brotherly affection. It's um, Philadelphia was named after phileo, and that's why they call it the city of brotherly love. It's not really the city of brotherly love, but that's what it comes from, phileo, okay? Phileo is brotherly affection. It was Christians, we are united in spiritually as a body, as family, okay? This is going to make some of y'all mad, but all believers, you will spend the rest of your eternity with the people of the body of Christ, okay? <laughs> I say that's going to make some of you mad because you look around at the body of Christ and you're like, man, really? Um, it's true. We're going to spend eternity with each other. Now, your, your blood, your blood can, okay, your kin, folk, half of them may be unbelievers, half of them may be believers, but those who are, not, who are unbelievers, you will not spend eternity with. Jesus says, my new family, my brother, my sister, my mother, these people are those who hear the word and obey the word. So this becomes our new family. Now, some of y'all are blessed to have a whole kinfolk who love Jesus. And so you're going to be spending eternity with your, real, your, your blood family and your spiritual family. That's beautiful. But for those of us who don't, Man, we've got to cling to in brotherly affection and brotherly love towards our family. In fact, Jesus says that's how the world's going to know that we are his believers, his followers. The world doesn't say they will know you by the way that y'all worship. They will know you by the way you put a cross around your neck. They will know you by the way you don't drink beer. Like, it's not what Jesus said. He's like, they will know you by the way that you love one another, by the way you're affectionate towards one another. You guys are family. That means if you argue, it's not, I'm arguing and see you. Look, I fight with my brother, my kin brother, my blood brother all the time, okay? Different people, all right? But guess what? We walk away from the argument and say, bro, I love you. I, I respect you. And here, I'll see you next Sunday, okay? We'll see each other again. Like, it is, see, that's the thing. In the church body, we argue and then we run. He made me mad. I don't have any attachment to him. I'm sorry to tell you, you do, and it's going to be for all of eternity. So you better solve it right now. You better have affection for right now. Love each other right now. And he says, give honor to one another. Love, agape love, true agape, gives honor to the, uh, each other. What does that mean? That means that we, it's really rooted in what Paul's already said, have a proper view of self. It's humility. It's consider others as more important than yourself. It's honoring other people. It's being quick to, to um to acknowledge somebody's accomplishments, being quick to show respect, being quick to show admiration, quick to acknowledge. It's laying yourself down for the honoring of everybody else. Guys, what would it look like? Husbands, if you went home and you honored your wife as more important than yourself, like you just looked at like, I'm honoring you as more, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm honoring you more above myself. Wives, what would it look like if you honored your husband? Because I'll tell you, I've, I've done, talked to a lot of marriage, married people who are struggling in their marriage and, and, and it's, it's, it's rough seasons in marriage. Never once have I had a wife come to me and says, man, I can't stand my husband. He just honors me all the time. Like he just, he considers me more important than himself. I get, it drives me nuts, okay? I'm done with this. Or a wife that, you know, or a husband's like, I can't see my wife, man. She just respects me. She honors me. She treats me above herself. I, it just drives me nuts. Like, I just, I want her to be selfish. Like, I, it drives me crazy. Like, it doesn't happen. What would our marriages look like if we honored each other above? What would our relationships look like if we honored others? What would it look like if we all, when we all, this is all said and done. The coronavirus is all said and done. You walk into this room and we all, were, our eyes were open. I didn't walk in like, here I am, bro. It's about me. Come feed me. I walked in. Who can I honor? Who can I lift up, man? It's about everybody else. Everybody else is more important. This is the model of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, look, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And Jesus did. He took his disciples these, and, and he, he did the most humbling thing that the servant, the lowly servant would do. They walk into a room and he took all the sandals off their feet and he washed their feet. And this ain't like, you know, you, we got sneak, uh, you know, Nikes on and they're clean, okay? This is you're walking barefoot through, for, through cow crap and, and donkey crap and all kinds of feces and all day long, all night long. That's why the lowly servant would wash the feet. And Jesus gets on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. Why? Because he's honoring his disciples. Man, I believe 
that the reason why we got so much bickering, so much division, so much arguing within the church body is because everybody's walking through the doors and saying, it's about me. I want it to be about me. And because it's about me, you're not about me. You're about you and you're about you. But I want everybody else to be about me, but nobody's about me. And I want it to, you know, it's like this, man, what happens if we all humble ourselves and we honor each other in agape love? But also love, I love this. Listen to this. This is good. Agape love, true, genuine love that does not have hypocrisy in it. It says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Agape love is fervent in spirit. That fervent in spirit is passion, it's intensity. I remind you of Paul, when Paul says, man, I run as to win, okay? I have aim. I, I'm intentional with my life. I'm intentional with what I'm doing. I'm intentional in my love. I box. I'm not boxing in the air just trying to hit flies. Like, I'm, I'm boxing with intention as to win. It's like, it's not like a shotgun, okay? Paul's like, Paul's, I'm not like a shotgun where I'm shooting and just scatter BBs. Hopefully something hits and just bah, 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 and just BBs going everywhere. He's like, no, I'm like a sniper with my love. It's going straight where I want it. I'm intentional with it. I'm, I'm enthusiastic with it. I'm fervent in spirit with my love. And Paul says in Colossians, in Colossians, he's, he's talking about the relationships that we find ourselves in. So he has husbands and wives. He has children and parents. He has uh, uh, slave, our masters and slaves. He has uh, owner, our uh, businessmen and, and servants, our businessmen and workers. These different relationships that we're going to find ourselves in. And at the end of his relationship, he says this. In Colossians 3, he says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. I love what Paul is saying here. He said, man, when you serve, when you love, it's intentionally, agape, when you're serving Christ, when you're intentional, when you're focused, when you're enthusiastic, you're serving as if you're serving Christ in every relationship that you have. Husbands, you go home, and you no longer see your wife. I no longer see Savannah. It's like I come home and I see Jesus sitting on the couch with my girls. How would I love and serve and treat my wife, the intensity, the enthusiasm, the focus, if I saw my wife as Christ and I served her as Christ, not as unto men? Wives, what would it look like if you came home and you saw your husband sitting on the couch and you loved him as if he was Christ. But my husband's nothing like Christ. Okay? It'd be easy if I was Savannah because I got you. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that pride. Love has no pride, right? Um, <laughs> guys, but that's what it's saying. It's not saying if they act like Christ. It's saying don't serve as unto men, serve unto Christ. Guys, what it would look like if you went to work. When you go to work, are you just going to make a paycheck? So as soon as that clock ends, man, you're out. You do the bare minimum to just to get the paycheck. Or do you see your business, the business that you work for, as Christ's business? That you're looking at it as this Jesus owns McDonald's. Okay, and so every burger I make, I'm going to do it with excellence. I'm going to actually make it look like the picture so that everything that comes out that I'm producing is for Christ. It's reflecting on Christ. It's, yeah, but my businessman doesn't act like Christ. It doesn't matter. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it for Christ. What would it look like if we treat our kids this way? If we treat our, our, our if you're a boss of an owner, a business, you treat your, your workers this way. What would it look like if you treat people in the church this way? Because we should be the best workers. We should have the best marriages. We should be the best kids, the best students, the best bosses. We should be best at everything we do because we are not doing it as unto men. We're doing it as unto Christ with enthusiasm, with intensity. We are serving the Lord in love. We are, as Paul says, I am aiming, I am boxing to win. 
Guys, are you enthusiastic in your love? Are you intense in your love? Are you intentional in your love? You see, a lot of times I think, man, people, we say, you know, marriage is, when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling uh, before I marry somebody, um, they're always the same thing. They always say, well, I want to be, I want to have a godly marriage. What's your advice on a godly marriage? You know, we want to have a thriving marriage. We want God in the center of this. We want it to be God-centered marriage. And I talk to other people outside who are already married, and we're like, yeah, we, we want more of God in this marriage. And my question to you is, are you intentional? Are you intense? Are you enthusiastic in your love? Husbands, are you taking the word of God and bathing it over your spouse, bathing it over your household? Are you intentionally watching what's coming on that TV to get the poison out of your house? Are you intentionally getting rid of any influence within your house that is taking away from the common, the aimed goal? Are you just shotgunning it? Or are you snipering it? Like, I want this marriage to be godly, and so I'm gonna put everything I have and, and bathe it in prayer, bathe it in the word of God. I'm going to be intentional with my, my, my time with my wife. I'm gonna set some time apart with her. I'm going to, I'm going to make, be a romantic guy. Like, I'm gonna sit down and just think of romantic things I could do for my wife so I'm not just sitting there on the couch and I bet my wife comes home hey babe what you gonna do now you just want Netflix and chill like I, no be intentional and romantic and be, be be go enthusiastic in your love bring in the godly marriage stop just hoping th- something happens you want your kid to be raised up in the Lord are you letting them just sit there and be babysat by Disney Channel I, look, I, I get it I'm a parent and I, I get it is, it is nice to have TV, all right? We, Octavia drives me crazy sometimes. So it's nice to be able to turn on the TV and let them sit. But what's, what are they watching? You know, we, we let her watch Bible stories. You know, at night, are you bathing them in the Word of God in prayer? Are you sitting down with your children and reading the Bible to them? And I've been blessed, man, because Octavia, she's got the whole Old Testament memorized. She can name everybody from Adam to we haven't got to um, Malachi yet, but she's getting there. And, and she, she learned Boaz the last time. Uh, so that's good. But she's learning the Bible. Are you praying over them? Are you worshiping with them? Are you intentional, enthusiastic, aiming for the goal in your love for people? Because love, here's this, agape love is not lazy. It's not slothful. It's intentional. It's fervent. It's aimed at the goal. So in order for you to have agape love, we have to be intentional with our love. Jesus says it this way. He says, look, he must, he talk, he's telling his disciples that he must work the works uh, of him who sent me, hear this, as long as it's day. Because night is coming and no man could work. Jesus is talking to his disciples, like, look, I'm, I'm busy, I'm focused, I'm driven. Because as long as it's day, I'm going to work. As long as I'm here, I'm going to work. As long as my ministry is here, I'm going to continue with the aim, with the purpose, with the goal. I'm going to be intentional and driven and enthusiastic. I'm going towards the goal. Paul says, he says that um, while you have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially of those, the household of faith. Solomon says that there's no work past Sheol. Okay, he says there's no work in the dead. There's no work after death. Now's the time to do it. Now's the time to focus. So love is not lazy, but love also rejoices in hope, perseveres in tribulations, is devoted to prayer. Now, love is devoted or rejoicing in hope. Now, rejoicing in hope, basically what Paul is saying is, look, we have a hope that is not seen, as Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, I think it says. Is we have a hope that is not seen. That basically we long for the day that when Jesus looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. We long for the day when the Lord God gives us a crown of righteousness, which the just judge will reward his saints when we return to him, when we come to him. We long for the hope of his second 
coming. We have a hope that is beyond this world, beyond this circumstances. Our love is rooted in the hope of Christ, and that cannot be taken from you. I don't care how rich you are, how, how many possessions you have, how much worldly stuff that you have, how much power and authority you have on this world. It does not go past the grave. Our hope is eternal, and love is re- rooted in and rejoices in that eternal hope, and it's because of that hope that we can go through tribulations and persevere through tribulations in this life. Because love sees and rooted in hope, but also love is rooted in prayer. Let me see. He's devoted in prayer. That word devoted, it just means it is driven. It's unwavering. It is strong towards prayer. Let me ask you this. How's your prayer life? You know, are are we devoted in prayer? Because there's no way that you're going to be able to walk in humility There's no way that you're going to be able to walk in truth. There's no way you're going to be able to love your brethren as yourself, as above yourself. There's no way you're going to make it through persecution and persevere through tribulations. There's no way that we can do this without being reminded of who is our strength. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is going to the source of our strength. Prayer is reminding us that it's not about us, that we can do nothing apart from him. And so everything is rooted in love. And so hear this, you cannot tell me that you love me without praying for me. Like, Don't tell me you love me if you're not willing to pray for me. Don't tell me you love me if you're not willing to get on your knees and take my life and my heart and take my, what's going on in my life before the Father, before my Creator, and say, God, bless him. God, keep him. God, hold him. God, protect him. God, guide him. If you're not willing to take me before prayer, then don't tell me you love me. And the same goes for me. If I can't take you before prayer, then I will not tell you I love you because that's not love. That's not agape love. And I, don't, don't give me that nonsense, like, I'm praying for you, brother. Like, just because you say it doesn't make it, like, spiritual, okay? Like, don't tell I'll pray for you. Man, stop right there and pray for him. Let's truly lift each other up in prayer because that is love, taking them before the Father. Well, Jesus spent his whole life, his whole ministry. You read the, uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's like every chapter, there Jesus is praying. One day, Jesus was on the mountaintop praying. One day when Jesus was coming down, he was praying. One day the disciples went up to Jesus while he was praying. One day, it was just every chapter, there Jesus is praying. If you want to pray, pray like this. Right before his death, right before the major tribulation, right before the major persecution, what is Jesus doing? Give me strength. God, take this cup from me, but give me strength. It's your will. He's praying. Love is rooted and devoted to prayer. But then also, Love contributes to the needs of the saints and practices hospitality, okay? So the word contributing is, is the word koinonia, it's the fellowship of believers. It basically joint participants. Now, this is, comes from the idea of eating with somebody. So you're joint participating in fellowship. Now, if I eat a piece of bread and the same piece of bread you eat also, or we get a loaf of bread and I break off a piece, you break off a piece, that same Bread, the substance, is feeding and nourishing both of us, which means us joint participants in the meal. We're one with each other. This is why the Jews would never eat with the Gentiles, because I didn't want to be joint participants in a meal with each other. That's why when we take communion, we take it together, joint participants. So what Paul is saying is that we are spiritually joint participants with each other. The same Father, the same hope, the same Spirit, the same baptism, the same gospel, the same Bible, the same family. We are one. We are joint participants. And so hear this. You cannot say that you are joint participants and say that you have unhypocritical love if you see one of the members of that you are joined to in need and do nothing about it. You you cannot see the need of a saint that you are in joint participation with. You cannot see the need of a saint and do nothing about it. See, love meets the needs of, of, of fellow believers. Love meets the needs of the family, of the body, of the joint participation. But love is also hospitable. That means open hands, open arms, open house. 
that whatever you need, whatever you, I, come, come into my house, come into me, whatever you need, what's mine is yours, it's the needs of the body, the needs, joint participation. This is the model that Jesus spent his whole ministry doing. I mean, Jesus, his whole ministry was feeding the needs, meeting the needs of the people, being hospitable, going into the people's houses, inviting people. He had a house, he was, a, you know, so he wasn't bringing in people. But he, was, he spent his whole life meeting the needs and being hospitable, bringing in the lowly and meeting their needs. That should be our model. Meeting the needs of the fellow believers and being hospitable, open. What's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. Love also, I'm kind of going to rush through these things. Love also blesses those who persecute. So now here's the thing. So we, we're not making a switch. We went to the, the body. This is how we love the church, okay? We love the church. We love our members, our fellow believers. Now we're moving into how do we love the world? Okay, so once again, if our love is going to be agape, God's love, we've got to know how to love the body and also love the world, the unbelieving world. And there's some crossover in all this, okay? There's some crossover, but this is specifically talking about unbelievers. Our love obviously transfers over and it's interlinked, but right now, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, bless those who persecute. What is that assuming? It's assuming that you will be persecuted, okay? This is a will be persecuted. Now, Jesus says the same thing in the Beatitudes. He says, bless those who persecute you, okay? It's, it's a common theme. In fact, every book of the Bible, except for like two, and I think that's in uh, Jude, and I think that's because only one chapter, um, that talks about the persecution of the believers, that we will all go through persecution. Now, if we are doing what Paul says, we're consecrating our body to the will of God, his ways, his will, my hands is his, his hands, my feet are his feet, my mouth is his mouth. We are devoted by getting rid of the garbage of the world, being transformed by that, but being renewed in mind and spirit. If we are humbling ourselves and being one with the body, if we are actually loving in truth, within the boundaries of truth, we're doing all of these things, I promise you, you will be persecuted. Don't tell me, don't give me that crap, okay, that, that, oh, we're in America. Americans, Christians aren't persecuted. I promise you, if you're holding fast to the word of God, you're going against the grain of the water. See, only a dead fish, all, all dead fish can do is go downstream. And so if you're all going downstream, you're the only live one going against the grain. You're going to be hit, okay? You're going to be hit by all these dead fish floating down. You, you can't Live like Christ is calling us to live and not be persecuted. It will. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that rejects the word of God, that rejects the truth of God, that rejects his goodness, that rejects all that he will. So you will be persecuted. And Paul says when you are persecuted, agape, unhypocritical love, blesses those who persecute you. To bless is the where we get the, the English word eulogy. You know, when you give a eulogy, you're speaking well of the people, okay? That's what it means to bless somebody. I bless you. I speak well of you. I speak praise to you. I speak uplifting things to you. That's why when you say we bless the Lord, that's how I'm going to bless the Lord of my soul. Bless the Lord is eulogy. I eulogize the Lord. I sing to God blessings, words of truth, words of goodness, words of kindness, words of uplifting. It's blessing the Lord, okay? Same thing here. When somebody is speaking, persecuting you, speaking ill of you, mocking you, reviling you, uh, even harming you, we do not curse. We speak well. We uplift them. We say good things about them. We don't gossip about them and other people. And ones, Man, that, I saw what that guy did to you. I saw what that girl said to you. Uh, and, you and all you want to do is, yeah, let's gossip about them. But well, what would happen if somebody comes to you and talks about somebody else that harmed you? You have every reason to go after them, but you just speak well of them. You bless them. You bless them. Because here's, I know this is hard, but hear me. What is the goal with unbelievers? The goal is for them to see the truth in light of Christ, the truth to see the gospel of Christ. 
The goal is, the hope is our life becomes a light in the midst of darkness so that they could come to Christ. You see, what do you have that you're trying to keep? You've laid down your pride. You've laid down your honor. You've laid down your life every day to the cross. You've laid it as a living sacrifice to Christ. So it's not about you anymore. It's about the glory of God. And so you know you're sealed. You know where you're going. You know your hope that you have. You know the eternity you have. Nothing can strip you from the love of Christ. Not angels, not demons, nothing, no principalities. Nothing's going to take you from the love of God. So what are you trying to protect? When somebody's going after you, what are you protecting by going after them back? So no, we are focused in our love. We are intentional in our love. And so if somebody's hitting me, if somebody's spitting on me, if somebody's making fun of me, my intentional love says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to see the love and grace of Christ. Because you could do nothing to harm me because it's not about me anymore. And so we bless those who persecute us. First Peter says it this way, that Jesus... He suffered for us, leaving us an example. Listen to this. He left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps, that when he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, which means spoken ill, spoken mocked, slandered, just cussed out, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges rightly. Let me ask you something. Who do you know that deserves suffering any more, any less, any more less than Christ? Like, who do you know that is better or deserves suffering less than Christ did? He's perfect in word, perfect in action, perfect in love. Like, do you, do you believe that you actually deserve persecution less than Christ did? Do you believe that you actually deserve tribulation, that you actually deserve reviling or making fun of or being mocked or being beaten less than Christ did? And yet while Christ was mocked and reviled and beaten and persecuted, what did he say? God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So even on the death of the cross, Christ's aim, Christ's goal was grace, mercy, love, focused, intentional. It wasn't scattered shotgun. It was intentional. He blessed those who, who persecuted him. And Paul goes on, rejoice with those who weep. Or rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is what love does. Love is of the same mind towards another. Love is not haughty in mind but associates with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Okay, so love is sympathetic. Love is always sympathetic to believers and unbelievers alike. Love adjusts to people's moods, feels what other people feel. Love is concerned and caring, okay? We all understand what it is to, to weep with those who weep. You lose your job, and I could weep with you, man. You get hurt, I could weep with you. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you got hurt or you, you lose a loved one. I understand what it is to weep with you. But where our sinful flesh takes in, we have a hard time rejoicing with those who rejoice. Let's be real, okay? Let's be honest, okay? You get a brand new car or you get a new job, right? And you love your job and you're excited about your job and I hate my job and I've been miserable in my job for years but I can't get out. I've got nothing else to do. Hey, but you've got a great job and you're bragging about, guys, I love my job. It's so great. And I, I mean, I'm like, praise the Lord. I'm so happy for you. Or you, get, or you get a new car, or something happens to you, get blessed. You win the lottery, and everything's blessing on you. And you're just thinking, I'm more righteous than him. Why didn't I get the blessing? Why didn't I win the lottery? I'm, I got my Bible's worn out than him. You know, you're, you're always the bridemaid, never the bride. Okay, you never, you, you've been to 10, 20 different bridesmaids of everybody's wedding. All your friends are all married off, and you're like, I'm better looking than them. Where's my honey, okay? Where's my sugar daddy? I want my man. I can't rejoice. In our flesh, our wickedness, it is hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. But true love rejoices with those who rejoice, celebrates in the joys and grieves in the pains of other people. True love is happy when people are happy. John Scott, he says it this way, love enters deeply to their experiences and their emotions. 
their laughters and their tears and feel solidarity with them wherever or whatever their mood is. Guys, remember Jesus? In the wedding of Canaan, Jesus celebrated with their joys. He made water into wine and it was just, he had party. He celebrated in their joys. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Okay, he could have raised, he knew he was gonna raise Lazarus. Mary and Martha are sitting there weeping and crying and snotting and boohooing. All Jesus had to do is say, guys, chill, okay? Knock it off, knock out the waterworks, rise, okay? You know, all he had to do was just knock it off because he knew he was gonna raise Lazarus. But he saw Mary and Martha weeping and even though Lazarus was about to raise from the dead and he knew it was gonna be the, one of the greatest miracles in, in the, recorded in the, in, the, in the Bible, outside of salvation, obviously. But he knew he saw the weeping, he saw the emotions, he saw what was happening, and it says Jesus wept. Jesus rejoiced with those who rejoice, and he wept with those who weep. Love is, love is um, sympathetic with the world, unbelievers, and believers alike, but also love shows no partiality. Love has no social, no racial, no economic boundaries, okay? There are no boundaries in love. Jesus spent time with the tax collector, with the, the, the fishermen, with the leopards. He touched lepers. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody struggle with leprosy. It's not, it's not pretty. All Jesus had to do was like 10 feet. That's self-distance, okay? Six feet, healed, all right? Don't touch me. That's all Jesus had to do. But Jesus went up to the leper and he embraced him. Because we have a hard time getting 10 feet from somebody on frog level who smells funny. Okay? And we're saying, we're going to love like Jesus. Jesus embraced the leper. He embraced the prostitute. See, love loves the prostitute and loves the tax collector, loves the gambler, loves the drug addict, loves the homeless, loves the prisoner. Love has no boundaries and is willing to embrace all people from all social, economic, and racial class. True love, unhypocritical love, does not consider yourself more highly than you ought to. and does not only gather around those who are like-minded or like you. It says like-minded. Jesus does say, and Paul does say like-minded, and basically what that word like-minded, that phrase, is just talking about not like we agree on everything, but it's your heart, your eyes, and your mind are bent towards other people. Like, what would it look like in our world, our church, where we just go around, our minds are bent towards other people. We're only thinking about other people. Like, you're in the grocery store, and you got a cart full of items, and the person behind you's got two. What would it be like with your mind's bent towards other people, you're considering other people, and you're like, hey, bro, come up. What would it look like if you're, you're in a four-way stop sign, and there's, there's four of you, and you're just like, no, keep going. I mean, what would it be like if everybody's doing it, because everybody's like, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. And it's just, you're all stuck there for 10 minutes, but... It's that idea of we are looking, our minds are towards other people, not ourselves. But love never pays back evil for evil to anyone, respects what is right in the sight of man. Basically, this is, and this is going to be a repeated theme here in a second, but it's basically above reproach. That's what it means, being above reproach. In the eyes of man, people see, I mean, could you imagine, like you see two people fighting, one person's cussing the other person out, the other person's cussing the other person out, you know, when I, uh, when I, got, I went through a concealed carry uh, a permit, so I could have a concealed carry. I'm not carrying right now, okay? Uh, but when I went through the class, they told me never go into a room where two people have guns and they're shooting at each other and just start firing. Because you don't know who the bad guy is, all right? So unless you see it unfold, do not, because you will pick the wrong person half the time, okay? And you'll shoot the wrong person. That's basically what Paul's saying. If you go into a room and two people are cussing at each other, who's at fault? Who's the bad one? You don't know because I don't know who started it, who yelled it for who first, but they're both yelling at each other now. And well, he started it. It doesn't matter at that point. You're both at fault. And Paul's saying, man, in the lives of man, let somebody be cussing you and you are above reproach. Let somebody be yelling at you and you are above reproach. So if somebody walks into a room and sees somebody screaming irately, they also see you calm and peaceable and loving. 
And then who looks like the fool? Okay, that's not the, that's not the goal, but that's just a byproduct. It's benefit, okay? They look like the fool. You come across as, uh, <laughs> as right in the sight of men, okay? But he says, if at all possible, it depends on them, uh, be at peace with other people. Depending on you, be at peace with other people. If all possible. Now, he knows, Paul knows, just like we know, not everybody's going to want to be at peace. Not everybody's going to be able to be appeased. Not everybody's going to be able to be pacified. It's going to be, but it's not up to them. It's as far as you're concerned, be above reproach. You be at peace. You do what you can. To, if you have a coworker that's cussing you, you have a coworker that's never going to get along with you, that is slandering you, that is trying to work against you, you do everything you can do. It's as far as you. It's not about them. It doesn't matter what they do, but it's concerning you. You are above reproach. Because remember your goal, your mission in love, your aim in love is to get everybody, including the person who's cussing, to see the grace and love and gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about you anymore. You are on a mission of love. Now hear this though. We never compromise truth for peace. Okay, you never sacrifice the standards of God. Remember, love has boundaries. Love hates sin. Love loves truth. You cannot compromise the standards of God in order to bring peace, okay, or appeasement. But as long as they're not asking you to do anything that's against God's standards or against sin, that's what's going to bring peace, you have flexibility. You do everything you can, as Paul says, be all things to all people. That you lay down your freedoms, as Paul says. That you do what you can to bring peace with people around you, as long as it's not compromising the truth of God. And then finally... So where we're going to end, love never takes your own revenge. It leaves room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you are heaping burning coals over his head. That idea of burning coals is once again that feeling them, them feeling the, the shame and the guilt of their sin, of what they're doing. Now, but if you're screaming back and forth, if it's just back and forth, vengeance back and forth, it doesn't matter at that point who started, who was wrong. Man, there's no, our goal is to bring repentance and bring love and let them see love. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome with good. So Paul, once again, all these are pretty much the same. Be above reproach, going into it. And he really hits the nail on the head. Do not take revenge. Don't take revenge. Love doesn't take revenge. Vengeance is whose? God's. God's is, that is who vengeance belongs to, not you. But hear this, love, in order to love, it does not mean that you get rid of the justice system. In fact, the very next chapter, Paul's going to talk about there's a reason why there's a government, okay? There's a reason why there's a government. In Israel, when Israel was a government, they were the judicial system. They have, God gave them judicial laws to govern Israel. And so they had ju the justice within Israel. God has put us under America, okay? They are, there's a reason why they are established. They're in charge of justice. God's in charge of vengeance. We are in charge of love. Okay, our job is love. God is in charge of giving, bringing vengeance and the justice system is in charge of bringing justice. So just because we are loving and just because we're not retaliating in vengeance does not mean that we don't have justice. So many Christians believe that, man, I could just keep being abused by my spouse and just keep hitting and then verbally and physic or physically abusing me and I can't turn them in. I can't do anything because I'm just supposed to forgive and, and, and just let go. And, and I don't, I'm supposed to love through it. I'm not supposed to have vengeance. I'm not talking about vengeance. I'm talking about justice. So many people think, well, yeah, I know they murdered, but we're not supposed to. We're supposed to forgive. And there's, you know, guys, there is room for justice, love without vengeance. I heard a story this week of a man whose husband or whose, whose son was murdered. Son was murdered by another man. And, the, and the, 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 the man was put into the court system, got justice was served, he went to prison for life. And every week, the father went to prison, visited this man and prayed with him, loved on him, bought him a Bible, talked to him. You see, justice was served 
this man was able to love him without vengeance. Because just because there's justice does not mean uh, that there, there can't be love. Or that because there's love, there can't be justice. No, those go hand in hand. God's a God of justice and love. But once again, justice is for the courts. Vengeance is for God. And our job is to love. Our job is to love within the realm of justice. God will defend you. Remember what David and Saul did? Remember David and Saul? God, Samuel came to David and says, David, you're the anointed king. God, Saul, Samuel went to, to Saul. You are no longer anointed. And so the anointing was off of Saul onto David. And then when Saul got mad because David killed, Saul killed thousands and David killed tens of thousands and everybody's praising David. Saul chased down David, throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. And David and his men are hiding out in caves and stuff. And then one day they go into the cave to go to the bathroom and there is Saul pooping. Okay? Doesn't see him. That's what the Bible said. He relieved himself. Uh, doesn't see him. And then that was one time. And another time we saw him sleeping. But the, David's arm bearer, David's right-hand man says, hey, you want me to kill him? He said, I promise I'll only stab him once. Like I only, one hit, I got him. And what did David say? He said, no, no, no. Vengeance ain't mine. He said, who am I to touch the God's anointed? That's up to God. Like, God will take care of it. God told me I'm going to be king. He's going to keep trying to kill me. I'm not going to take vengeance in my own hands. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to let God deal with Saul, and I'm going to follow and love God. Guys, that's what Paul's saying. Because here's the thing. If our goal is for people to come to Christ, and you got somebody attacking you, you got somebody spitting on you, you got somebody coming after you. You got somebody mocking you, making fun of you. Whatever the form of persecution or tribulation or rebuke or reviling that you're experiencing or that you will experience, we need to have the heart of David. Do you want me to, you want me to say something to him? You want me to spit on him? You want me to go after him? No, no, no. Vengeance is God's. God will deal with him. I'm just going to keep loving him. I'm going to keep showing mercy to him. I'm going to keep showing grace to him. Now, if it gets to the point where there needs to be justice, then I'm going to turn him into the cops, but I'm going to keep loving him. I'm going to keep serving him. I'm going to keep uh, working with him. Now, there's room for mercy. Okay, if you steal a piece of candy from me, I'm not going to, prison! Okay, I'm not going to, you know, there's room for mercy, but there is also justice and love. But vengeance is never ours. Vengeance is retaliation for something that somebody's done to us. That's not, that doesn't belong to you. That belongs to God. So guys, Hear this. This is agape love. This is what it looks like to love in the church and love in the world. It's not lazy. And hear this. It's not easy. I get it. Look, man, I, while I was writing this, or maybe not this sermon. It was another sermon. I was writing and talking about the, I was writing a sermon for Jesus. Okay, it's all about Jesus. And I had somebody come to the lake, and, and one of the, those cops and she stopped me and told me to get out of the lake because I wasn't exercising. And man, everything, I felt like I was being persecuted. I'm like, that fire come down on her, okay? Kill her. And it was just, I was so angry. I was, I don't know why. It just made me so mad that I am sitting here in my car, roll, windows rolled up, and you're going to persecute the beloved, Jesus, okay? You're going to persecute the beloved of God. While these fools are walking around breathing on everybody. And I'm inside, Okay. But I know how, and just something as stupid as that can cause us to be triggered. Guys, it's not easy. It's hard. It's not easy to love our wife as Christ when she's not acting like it, or our husbands when he's not acting like it. It's not easy to lift other people, to honor other people when it seems like, man, everybody's just so selfish. It's not easy to be the only humble person in the room. Right, Danny? <laughs> it's not easy love. That's why it's not lazy love. That's not why it's not, it's not slothful love. And that's why it only can come from God. It's why it only comes and is rooted in prayer. It's only rooted in our hope. So guys, I, pray, I prayed for you guys this morning before we started. And my prayer for this body, for our church, is that when we return, that we return in this love. That we return in this kind of love. That it's not subjective, it's objective God love. That we come as consecrated unto God. We come as humbling ourselves before God, renewing our minds of the things of God. And we come to love each other in our giftings, to love each other through agape love. So let's pray. Father.
Well, I thank you. I thank you that you did not leave us alone. To just try to figure out how to operate within this body by ourselves. You not leave us alone to try to figure out how to operate in love and just kind of subjectively or uh, walk around and figure this all out for ourselves. But Lord, you gave us your truth. You gave us your boundaries of love. So Father, I pray that this church be marked by, is marked by agape. This church is marked by your love. Father, we want to be honoring to you. We want to be glorifying to you. We don't want to just meet for the sake of meeting. Lord, we want this body, this church, to be the light on the hill, to be the salt to this world, to this community. Father, let the world know that we are your children, that you are who you said you are, just as you prayed in John 17, that we are who you said, that you are who you said you are because we love one another and we love the world. Father, give us strength in the midst of persecutions to love. Give us clear vision in our love, intensity in our love, enthusiasm in our love, that when in the midst of persecution, we don't try to defend ourselves, but we remember the goal. We remember the point. We remember, we remain focused as a sniper, our focus, our mission, our goal in love. Let us not be lazy. Let us not be slothful in our marriages, in our children, in our communities, in our work, in our church. Let us be amazing lovers. We pray this in your name. Amen.